Good morning. Welcome to the Central Church of the Nazarene. We are in the middle of a sermon series that we're calling Itty Bitty Sermon Series. We're using the life of David to, to talk about words that end in I-T-Y. That's hence the idea of Itty Bitty. Today, our key word is identity. I, I read a report this week that said 41 million Americans have had their identity stolen. That's a lot, 41 million. Identity theft is a terrible thing. But even worse is identity confusion, identity unawareness, identity uncertainty. Not knowing who you are. Not knowing who you could become in God. And that's where I think King David can help us. Our Bible passage for today is going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David has kind of a, a pinch me type of moment when he truly discovers his identity in God. It's one of those moments of extreme self-awareness when he understands who he is, who God is, and how his life and God's power interact in in a wonderful, glorious way. And if I could have a prayer for you this morning, it would be that that same type of encounter could happen for you, that you would understand who you are, who God is, and see how you and God Almighty can intersect in a powerful, glorious way. Um. In David's account, if you remember when we think of, of you, you may not put this on your list of divine encounters that you think of when you think of scripture and a person having a divine encounter. Sometimes we think of uh, like, like Abraham in Genesis 15, when God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, look up at the sky, and he did, and he said, count all those stars, and Abraham said, there's no way, there's no way I can count those stars. And God said, that's how it's going to be for your descendants. You're going to have this many. It was a powerful moment with God. Or maybe you think, when you think of people having a powerful encounter with God, it's, it's Moses at the burning bush. You remember Moses was on the, on the dark side of the wilderness, and, and he noticed a, a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't consumed, and he walked up to it. And God said, Moses, where you're standing on hol- is holy ground. Take off those sandals. It's a powerful, powerful moment with God. Or maybe you think of Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah has this vision of the holiness and the majesty of God. And, he, and, and in light of that, he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And through that encounter, uh, God says to Moses, who will go before me, who can I send? And Moses you know, raises up his hands, here am I, send me. Powerful moment, encounter with God. Or maybe you think of, G- or of, of, of Paul on the road to Saul, on the road to Damascus. When, when, when Jesus knocked him off his high horse and blinded him and then said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Powerful, world-changing encounters with God. Well, really, that's what's taking place in 2 Samuel 7, only with David. He has a powerful moment, uh, a self-discovery, and, and really an awe of who God is type of moment. And before we get too far on this, let me just remind you, David takes up more ink than anyone else, any other person in the Old Testament. More than Moses, more than, more than Joseph, more than Abraham, more than Jonah, more than any, anyone else. David takes up more space. We're trying to cover, go over David's life in these you know, seven or eight weeks of sermon. There's no way possible we can do that, so I'm kind of taking big leaps at a time. And if you haven't been here the last two weeks, let me just catch you up. Saul had been king, King Saul, and he uh, proved to be a poor king. And so so God decided to replace him. And he asked Samuel, the prophet, to go and anoint a son, a son of Jesse, to be the next king. So 
Samuel goes to Jesse's place, and Jesse has seven other sons, and they all kind of sashay in front of, of Samuel, and none of them are the, are the choice. And Samuel says to Jesse, do you got any other kids? Anybody else? These, these all, they're, they're fine-looking boys, but, but none of them are the one. Do you got anybody else? And Jesse says, well, the only other one is that, you know, the, the runt of the litter, you know, he's out tending the sheep. So we'll bring him in. And so he came in, and you know how the story goes. You know, he was the one. God, in so many ways, tells Samuel, listen, Samuel, this isn't a GQ modeling contest. I'm not looking at the outside. I'm looking at the inside. I'm looking at the heart. David's the one. And so David became king. And shortly after that, David took on that, that uh, 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 you know, tank-like uh, Goliath and won, surprising everyone except for David and God, I think. And from there, uh, David's popularity was rising, Saul's was decreasing, David's uh, influence was rising, Saul's was decreasing. That caused Saul to be very, very jealous, and we looked at that story and account of that last week. Eventually, Saul dies, and David is made king. And David's first act as king is to, to uh, establish a, a city, a capital city, if you will, and that is Jerusalem. He defeated the Jebusites who had been occupying Jerusalem, and he, be, he defeated them, and that made that his capital city. But David wanted it to be more than just a capital city, a place for, for his kingship. He wanted it to be the holy city of God, and so his second act of king was to bring the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the Ark of the Covenant that led the Israelites out of Egypt. He, he had that then bring that to Jerusalem, making it the holy city of God. Now, if you haven't caught on, it's been a bit of a whirlwind for, for David. Now, from shepherd boy to, to playing a harp in the palace to defeating Goliath to, to being on the run from King Saul because he was so jealous to eventually becoming king and defeating the, the Jebusites and defeating some of the other enemies, the Philistines and others, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And finally, whew, Take a breath. We get to chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. And and this is the first verse. It says, The king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest over all his enemies around him. (sighs) Take a breath. He's finally settled. The enemies are defeated. Saul is gone. The Jebusites are gone. The Philistines are gone. Life is good. Take a breath. But I think David is a lot like us. It's like he couldn't take a breath, you know? He couldn't slow down. And many times we are always go, go, go from one challenge to another challenge to another challenge. And if, and if one thing gets done, we're ready to jump in the next thing that, that can come along. That's the way David was. Because in chapter 2, or in verse 2 of that second chapter, or the seventh chapter of Second Samuel, says, here I am, David saying, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Remember, the tabernacle that housed the, the Ark of the Covenant was, was a kind of a giant tent. And so David is sitting around, and he's had all these victories, and now he's resting from his, from his enemies, but he can't rest. He says, wow, i got to do something. i gotta, I got I to build a, a temple for the Ark of the Covenant, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be huge, and it's going to be massive. i got to get busy. And so he runs that idea by the prophet Samuel's now dead. He runs it by the prophet Nathan. And Nathan says this in verse 3, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Now that sounds pretty good. The prophet Nathan says, go, 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 man. I know you just defeated all these enemies and now you're at rest, but forget rest. We got to build, build, build. Go, go, go. Start the capital stewardship campaign. Pass out the pledge cards. We're going to build a massive temple. It's going to be awesome. 
Only one problem. Uh, they, they never inquired of God. You would think that would be like kind of high on the priority list if you're going to build God's temple. But neither Nathan nor David inquired of the Lord. And for the next ten verses or so, uh, God speaks to Nathan. And he tells them, he says, listen, Nathan, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to David and say, that's a great idea, building a temple, but it's not my idea. And I, I really don't care if you build a temple uh, for me or not. In fact, my plan is not for David to build me a house. My plan is for me to build David a house. Now, God's not talking about a palace. He's not talking about something with bricks and mortars. When he says that he's going to build David a house, he's talking about a dynasty. He's talking about the dynasty that will be David's, and through that dynasty will come the Messiah. That David himself, King David, will be through his bloodline, one of his ancestors will be God's only begotten son. That God is going to overcome his family and so embrace his family that they, it will be from David's line, will become the Messiah. That's a powerful announcement. Put yourself in David's shoes there for a second. Remember where God has brought him. He was a shepherd boy, made king. He defeated Goliath when everybody said he couldn't do it. He, 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 he defeated all of his enemies, the Jebusites, the Philistines, everybody, everybody, everybody. He's finally at rest. He decides that he's going to be the great builder of God's temple. God says, forget that. I got bigger plans for you. I, 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 I'm going to establish your house. And your, from your house is going to come the Messiah. And David, quite honestly, is blown away by that. He, he, he can't even imagine that. And this is his response in verse 18. Um, the same words that Tiffany and Enosh just sang. Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? As if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human? He can't believe it. The Messiah is going to come through his line for a mere human? What more can David say to you? For, for you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great are you, sovereign Lord? There is no one like you. David is absolutely blown away by this powerful encounter with God. You might say, well, Pastor, that's, that's great for David. That's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. But how does this affect me? Well, I think it has a lot to do with us. See, again, my prayer is, as I told you earlier, my prayer for us this morning is that we would have a powerful encounter with God Almighty. That you would understand who you are, who God is. That you would understand what God has done for you and how he created you and has embraced you. My prayer is that you would find your identity in God and have that identity lined up perfectly with God Almighty who created you in his image. So let me ask you, where do you get your identity from? Is it your job? Maybe your house? Your kids? Your car? Your whatever? Your handsome, pretty, straight A's at school, whatever? What about this? What if your identity was, was solely found and based and linked, if you will, to God Almighty? So much so that people would describe you when they talk about you. They wouldn't talk about your job or your house or your position. But they would say things like, like, she is really godly. 
He's a prayer warrior. Last week's sermon, he's a person of integrity. No question about it. Where do you get your identity? Prior to 2 Samuel 7, I suppose David would have thought that his identity was David the conqueror, David the the uniter of Israel, David the builder. He was hoping to be builder of God's temple. But God, you understand, he, he, he wanted none of that. He had bigger plans for David. It was from David would come the Messiah. It was bigger plans. And I believe that God has bigger plans for you. See, this, this self-discovery moment of David it is best expressed in those three words from, chapter, from verse 18. He says, who am I? Who am I that I should be blessed by all of this? Now notice a person in this position, David. He's the conquering king. He's defeated Goliath. He's defeated all of his enemies. He's finally at home. Capital city's been established. The Ark of the Covenant is brought back. It would be very easy for David to not say, who am I? But rather, look at me. Remember, that's what got Saul in problems. Look at me, look at all my accomplishments, look what I've done. I've brought together the country and everyone is happy and and we're finally at rest from our enemies. Look at me, look at me, look at me, he could have said. But he didn't. He didn't point to his accomplishments. He didn't point to what he had done. David wasn't saying any of those things. Instead, he looked over his life, saw how God blessed him, protected him, cared for him, anointed him. And his only response was, who am I? Who am I that God should bless me in this manner? Who am I that I should have this holy favor? Are you kidding me? Who am I? I was David the shepherd boy. I was the Davis the the runt of Jesse's family. Who am I that I should get all of these blessings? You see, and that's what I want you to experience. I want you to have a moment with God Almighty. And I'd love for you to do what David did. Quiet yourself before the Lord. And in that moment have this powerful encounter where you say, who am I? Who am I? That God should love me so much. Who am I? What have I done that have, has certainly not deserved any of the blessings that I've given? Even who am I that I should live in a great country? Or who am I that I should have, have wonderful children or grandchildren or a spouse that loves me? Who am I that, that I should have, have clothes in my closet and food in my cupboards? Who am I that I should be the, the beneficiary of all these blessings? Now, whenever I preach a sermon like this, I know, I know there's some in the congregation that are saying, well, wait a minute. I'm no David. I didn't kill any giant, and I'm certainly not the king or queen of anything. In fact, I would, I, I, I would say that my life is kind of a mess. And maybe all those great things happened to David, but those great things didn't happen to me. And my life hasn't been great. And, and when I look around me, I see problem after problem after problem. My life has been tough. So I'm not saying, who am I? If I'm saying anything, I'm saying, why me? Why did that happen to me? Why have I gone through that? Why am I I dealing with those issues? See, again, the question this morning, our key word for this morning is identity. And whether up until this point right now, your life has been wonderful and you've seen God work in many, many different fashions and you say, who am I that I should be the beneficiary of all these things? Or maybe life has been more challenging and you've said, why in the world has all these things happened to me? Or probably more than not, you're somewhere in the middle. You've had some who am I type of moments and why me type of moments, and you're kind of in the middle of that place. In either case, in all those cases, I wish we could do what David did. Quiet ourselves down. Relax. Take a breath. 
and seriously, honestly evaluate where we've been, what we've done, all of our sins, all of our problems, all of our victories, all of our baggage, all of our junk, all of our joys, and look around and say, God is still here. I'm still breathing. God is still with me. Who am I? See, when you evaluate your life, when you really settle down like like David did, when you ask that question, who am I that God should be near me, that God should love me, that God should send his only begotten son for me? Are you kidding me? Who am I that I should be, get all of that? Who am I when I haven't been all that lovable? Who am I when, when I was running away from God and he chased after me? Who am I? And even though life maybe hasn't always been easy, maybe it's been rather tough, still God is with me. See, when you ask those questions, when you listen, I think we'll discover that you are uniquely gifted by God. Now, it's hard sometimes to think about that when you re- recognize that there are, what, 7.5 billion people on this planet. You think, well, I'm not all that uniquely gifted. Billy Graham, he was uniquely gifted. Mother Teresa, she was uniquely me. You know, who am I? You are uniquely gifted by God. That's who you are. You are uniquely gifted. That goofy smile... That person who could lose a few pounds, maybe didn't get straight A's in school, all of that bundle of life experiences, you are uniquely gifted by God. Out of the 7.5 billion people on this planet, you are uniquely gifted by God. I can't always get my mind around 7.5 billion, so let me squeeze that down to just two. As you know, I have two sons, Alex and Ben. We're going to have 26 sons. We started with A, A for Alex, B for Ben, and then we said, all right, that's it, we're stopping. <laughs> 26 is stupid, and <laughs> we'll stop at two. Now imagine, imagine, imagine if one of those boys, at the end of, of my life, at the end of their life, if they decided that, that they didn't love me, 50% success rate, that's not going to cut it. No, you see, I got to have Alex, and I got to have Ben. Each son is valuable. Each son is irreplaceable. And the good news is, that's exactly how God feels about you. You are unique, valuable, irreplaceable to God Almighty. He's got to have you. Don't think of 7.5 billion on the planet. Oh, he, he won't miss me. Yes, he will. You're his special child. Your true identity is found in him. Your best identity is found in him. You're a child of God. We sang about this morning. There has never been, there will never be someone like you that can worship God in your manner. That's not a testament to you. Don't puff up your chest at that. That's a testament to God Almighty who created you. Who, who, who looks at you and says, there's my child. He's irreplaceable. She's irreplaceable. I gotta have her. See, when we look deep in ourselves, we'll come to one of three places, it seems to me. We'll either come to a place of self-worship when it's, look at me, look at what I've done, aren't I great, pat, pat, pat. Or we'll come to the exact opposite side of that, a place of self-loathing. And we'll say, oh my goodness, look at the mess that my life is, look at all these problems that I've caused, look at this and that, why me, why me, why me. Or 
when we understand our true self, our true identity, found in Jesus Christ, and founded on the one true God who created you and loves you and has got to have you, who wants to spend eternity with you, it'll lead you to a place to say, who am I? That God would love me so much. Charles Wesley, the great songwriter, he was basically saying this in that wonderful hymn, my favorite hymn, and can it be that God should love, that the Savior would bleed for me? How can that be for me? Who him, who caused his pain for me? Are you kidding me? After what I've done, after what I've said, for me, are you kidding me? See, when you have this moment of self-discovery, when you truly understand your identity that can be found on the one true God, it leads you to a place of either saying, look at me, look what I've done, why me, why of all these problems, or, best of all, it leads you to a place of worship where you say, oh, who am I? That I get to be included in your family. Who am I that you have prepared a home for me for all eternity? Who am I that you have given all these blessings to? Who am I? See, that's what this is about. Our identity is found not on, not on what we've done. David, I'm the king. I'm the conqueror. I've won all these things. No, it's not on what we do. It's on who we are. Who we are found in God. There's this there's this great passage that says, how can we best worship? And you've heard it. Paul said it, Romans 12, 1. When it said, therefore I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's understanding who we are in God Worship is understanding who we are and offering ourselves. It's not about necessarily singing a song. You don't have to be the best singer. You don't have to be the best whatever in, in, in church. Your best worship is when you present yourself to God and say, who am I that you would want to include me, but I'm so thankful that you did. It's not about what you do. It's who you are. It's being, not doing. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was preaching, and he, and he talked about those who thought it was all about doing. Do you remember that story when he said, he's talking about Judgment Day. Last week we talked a little bit about that. Every day, all of us, one day, all of us will stand before a holy God and give an accounting of our life. And in that moment, I'm not going to be able to say, well, I'm Rob Prince, I pastor Central Church of the Nazarene, I preached, you know, 2,500 sermons in my life, and I married all these people, and one was really cold in Petoskey, and and I did this and I did that. That's not going to matter. What's going to matter? Who am I? That you would go to the cross for me. See, in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is having this conversation. He said, said that there will be people on that day that will say, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and in your name we drove out demons, and in your name we performed many miracles. I, I don't know about you. I don't know how many of you have performed many miracles or drove out demons lately. That's a pretty impressive list. And Jesus tells them, away from me, I never knew you. It's not about doing, it's about being. Who am I that God would love even me? David, as you know, was not only the shepherd, and David became the king, and David became the victor, and the defeater of giants. David was also a a songwriter. You know that most of the psalms in your Bible were written by David. Probably the most loved of those psalms is the 23rd psalm. 
But maybe the second most loved is the 139th Psalm. And that's a psalm of, of identity. That's a psalm that begins, you know, you have searched me and you know me. When, when, when I, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You know me, God. You know everything about me. It's, it's powerful. You discern my comings and my goings. You're familiar with my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you, you know it completely. He knows us. He knows us. He knows us. We love the 139th Psalm. Most of it. There's about four verses in there that we usually, usually when it's read, we just kind of skip. Because we love the part that God knows us and he's embraced us and he cares for us and he loves us. But David is so honest. Because there's four verses. Verses 19 through 23 that we usually we just kind of skip over. Because after talking about how God knows us and loves us and knows everything about us, David, in complete honesty, says this in verse 19, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? I abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred, 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 hatred for them. I count them my enemies. I hate them, hate them, hate them, hate them. That's why we skip it. It's been so nice up until that point. And then, and then David brings it around to verse 23, part that you probably know, where he says, Search me, oh my God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there's any anxious way in me. See if there's any offensive way in me. He just said about how he hated, hated, hated people. Basically what David is saying here is, God, you know me. You know everything about me. And I have found my identity in you. You have searched me and know me. And Lord, you know, I even got some problems with some people. And man, they just drive me crazy. And after he says that, he says, but Lord, search me. What he's saying is, Lord, fix me. If those attitudes are wrong, if, if the way I'm approaching them is not right, if there's an offensive way in me, fix me. Because I want to be, be the person that you created me to be. I want to be the, the man of God that you, you, you designed me to be. I want to be able to stand before you, not list off my accomplishments, but list off one thing. It's only because of God. That's the only reason why I'm here. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are, just like they sang earlier. Maybe you've got stuff going on in your life. Maybe you've been asking a lot of why me type of questions. Maybe the best thing you can do today is just quiet yourself before the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I want to be yours. I want my life to be a living sacrifice. I want to be completely, totally, absolutely yours. And if there's something in me that's not right, if there's something in me that's offensive, if there's something in me, fix it. You desire us to be in relationship with you and that, that you have promised that we can spend eternity with you. Not based on what we've done, but based on who you are and our identity that's found in Jesus Christ. So send us from this place, Lord, knowing that you love us, knowing that you created us, knowing that you, you long for us to be in a right place with you. Thank you for what you're doing, for enabling that to be true. In Jesus' name, amen.